Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. We'd appreciate it. And hey, if you like the show, just tell one person. That'll make us really, really fucking happy. Whoa. F-bomb in the first two minutes of the show. I like it. A little hot in the first 30 seconds. I like it. I like it. Head on a swivel, boys and girls. Head on a swivel. I'm a little spicy. Stay around for recommendations. <laughs> well, and obviously I'm fired up because of our guests. Not only just be spending time with you, Steve, but our great guest today, Matt Miller, of course, of NFL Draft Scout fame, formerly of Bleacher Report, now at ESPN. And this is one of those times a year where we rarely will go outside of the Nashville market to talk media because as we, as we talk a lot of Titans with, with Matt, and, and sort of how John Robinson and Mike Vrabel are approaching this draft and how all NFL teams are approaching this draft. There's also this larger thing that's happening in the NFL world right now. So we're going to have a lot of fun with Matt Miller. Great conversation coming up in just a second. Ratings and recommendations, of course, a little bit later on on the program. A uh, little housekeeping here at the beginning. Gold Standard Podcast, our last podcast, finally, before the trade deadline <laughs> with Adam Bingen of The Athletic out every Wednesday. So make sure you check that out. Club and Country. Brand new soccer podcast about Nashville SC with the great West Bowling and Tim Sullivan. So dropping every Tuesday, every Tuesday, uh, as well as Fringe Element out on Thursdays. Uh, Josh Kendall of The Athletic was the guest on this week's episode as we sort of had a, a really weird potpourri of subjects in the SEC. Talked a lot about coaches on Fringe Element as well. So I think that's all, the 440, the daily. Make sure you check that out, out every morning at 440 because branding. All right. One more bit of tidying up around the house. Our title sponsor, Jaspers! That is Jaspers, for those who can't understand Steve screaming into the void. Go to Jaspers, free parking, great menu, great happy hour, great place to watch the game, all around greatness. In every step of the way, it is truly great. And free parking. And the parking is pretty outstanding as well. So, as I mentioned, ratings and recs coming up a little bit later on, following our interview with Matt Miller, but... I wanted to talk to him, Steve, just I've known him a long time. Huge Jason Isbell fan, by the way. So he's sort of got some like Nashville in his in his uh, like a former life somewhere in his blood. But uh, great dude. And what I want people to learn here is if you isolate in on one thing and you do that one thing extremely well and you are unbelievably passionate about it and willing to outwork the other guy, Matt Miller is a poster child for success in that world. And that is what he has done around the NFL draft. Matt Miller is an interesting case study because he had kind of done all that he thought he could do at Bleacher Report and went out on his own, started a, started a Substack newsletter that just took off, absolutely took off. Uh, and it's it really is one of the best Substacks out there. It is it is great for draft information and NFL player evaluation. You know, before he even got picked up by ESPN, this thing was kind of taking off. It, 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 it really is sort of a, a lesson in, uh, in persistence and building audience. And that audience is loyal, very loyal, and has followed him around. And now you know, it's, it's made him very successful. And you're going to hear him explain a lot of this, but sort of his path to getting to where he is, both whether you want to call him a scout or the media or sort of both feet in both worlds, he's had an extraordinary career and and lessons along the way. So not only are we going to talk Titans and John Robinson and the pick 22 and evaluating prospects and players, but we're going to talk about what it's like to cover the draft and how you get to sort of the top of an industry that very few people have ever gotten to. I mean, Kuiper and McShay and Matt Miller. I mean, that's the ESPN trio right now. So uh, without any more conversation from you or I, we'll be back with ratings and recommendations afterward. This was our conversation with the great NFL Draft Scout, the only one, the NFL Draft Scout, Matt Miller. Matt, thank you, man, for joining us today on Lamestream. We really appreciate it. First of all, just how you been? How you doing? How many different companies do you work for these days? What's up, man? Man, well, you you know, guys, behind the scenes, how hard it was to even find 30 minutes to sit and not talk this morning. So I appreciate you guys being flexible. It's, you know, it's busy, man. It's We're talking on April 1st, and that basically means that I have 28 days to finish all my stuff for 2021 and get started on 2022. And, like, I kind of have a reputation in the industry for being, like, the guy who gets done early for, and then I, like, start on next year, right? So I was at the BYU Pro Day a week ago. And an agent walked up to me and he's like, hey, when can I get that 22 list from you? I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, soon, 
soon, man. So yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I, I, I've been gone from Bleacher Report for, I think officially about a month and a half, I think something like that. Yeah. A month and a half officially. And it's been crazy. Um, you know, launching my own site, starting my own business was really what I thought the majority of my time would be spent doing this year. When I left Bleacher Report, that was my, that was my safety net was I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to write, I'm going to do the Substack model. It's gone exceptionally well. I'm very proud of, of how well it's doing. But in the meantime, I got hired by ESPN, which I did not know was going to happen. I, I think a lot of people thought, oh, this dude quit Bleacher Report because he had the ESPN job. That is not true uh, at all. And, and so I've just added another layer onto what I was already doing with my own podcast, the radio show I was doing daily in Joplin, Missouri, the draftscout.com, and now doing TV for ESPN. So I'm incredibly lucky. I know a lot of people who are probably listening to this being like, I hope this guy isn't complaining about that. I'm not complaining <laughs> about it. It's just, it is a lot. So I want to dive into the Substack thing because I'm fascinated by it. But before that, what the hell are the Joplin Crusaders and <laughs> the Central States or Central States Football League? You got your start. It was called, I think that's what it was called. It's been a long time. I mean, I was 22. Um, and that was, I was scouting a little bit before that. Um, you know, when I was 17, I got my first job. First job, I was covering the 49ers for a draft website called Dra NFL Draft Blitz. This is in like the year 2000, 99, 2000. And, and so I was like writing a little bit and I just like, I was so naive and like fearless that I didn't know what I shouldn't do. So I would just like print off scouting reports and just FedEx them to NFL general managers. And when that, like when I wasn't getting a job off that, I started FedExing them to CFL and AFL general managers. And I got connected with a guy who was the assistant general manager of an AFL two team. Right. So not the GM of an <laughs> AFL team, the assistant GM, like this is some office bullshit. Right. So this guy's like parking <laughs> cars on weekends. Right. And you know what? Like he and I are still friends. That's what's crazy. It's been like 22 years. And so he really, I should probably send him a gift basket. He really allowed me to get my foot in the door doing some scouting for the, uh, what was it? What was the team name? It was Albany or something. I don't remember. It's been a long time, but that was my first paid scouting job. And I, and so it was like, okay, like, I'm just going to keep like chasing down things and see what happens until someone tells me no. And so to get full circle here, there was a linebacker who played for the Joplin Crusaders who had played college football here locally. And I was tasked with, Hey, go watch him play. We actually think there might be something there for the arena league. So I go watch him play and just had a great relationship with their head coach of the Joplin Crusaders. And he said, you know, we could really use someone to help recruit here because it's hard getting the word out. You know, this was probably in 2005, 2006. And, you know, the internet was not what it is now with social media. He's like, we, we're having a hard time recruiting players, identifying talent. Why, why don't you come on staff? You can coach DBs, coach special teams, but we'll really just let you like recruit and evaluate players. And so that was like, and we actually won. We never lost a game while I was there coaching. There's still, it's a, there's still like a really good team in that, that league. So I mean, somewhere in my house or office, I have two championship rings from that little run that we had there. I didn't start wearing that shit on ESPN. Like when Bill Pullian brings out, you know, his. It's like, look at this. You I probably should. I probably should. It'd be hilarious. Um, but yeah, that's that was my first foray into that. And, you know, from that, uh, I ended up coaching some high school football for a couple of years. All the while, you know, trying to make what is happening now happen and you know obviously the, the 10 years of bleacher report i was really really lucky to be in that situation and it had so much fun there and learned so much about this industry but all the while you know uh, my parents are just like every time i see them they're just have this grin on their face like i can't believe you actually pulled this off you know like the <laughs> the guy who like used to skip school to play madden and now like you're in the game and like you used to i used to fake sick every sunday you know when the draft was on so i'd be oh i can't go to church i'm sick i gotta stay home and watch mel kiefer and like so you know now being on shows with him it's just like i'm still like the kid in the candy store who's just grinning every time you know i do a zoom call and there's mel kiefer and todd mcshay i'm just like this can't be real like somebody's gonna tell me that this is a joke what so explain that process the last month and a half leaving bleach report launching Substack, mm -hmm. and and landing at espn what did you learn through that process yeah i mean so the the overall thing that i learned is that in this industry 
it matters how hard you work and it matters how you treat people. Because, you know, when I was at Bleacher Report, it would have been very easy for me to be like, you know, thinking I'm hot shit and that I'm better than Mel Kuyper, better than Todd McShay, better than Daniel Jeremiah, instead of understanding that I could learn a lot from those men who paved the way for me. And that they, that, you know, Todd and, and Daniel Jeremiah and Lewis Riddick and people like that who actually worked in the NFL, right? They had the job that I wanted to have when I was growing up. Um, you know, Mel was a trailblazer. He's the godfather of this industry. And so what I've learned was like, don't burn bridges by thinking you're the guy, you know, and the, I, unfortunately, like I've seen so much of that, you know, on social media, people want to, they want to go at the, the guys on ESPN and only be in there six, five, six weeks. I, I've even seen a little bit of myself instead of being like, man, what can I learn from this guy? Because it's the NFL draft. We're all going to disagree about who the Titans should draft or if that player is going to be good, right? That's that's the, the heart of this industry. And we all love that we can have our own opinions, right? I think the key is like, you have to keep those opinions respectful because when I decided uh, to leave Bleacher Report, I decided to do that. I knew in July of 2020 that I was probably going to leave. I was actually, uh, I was at, I was at Yellowstone actually. And I was waiting to get in line at Yellowstone. And um, my, my younger brother, Mello, who does the podcast with me, he wrote with me at Bleacher Report. Um, He's just basically my, my, my go, you know, a sidekick. We were sitting in line trying to get into Yellowstone one morning and some stuff happened. And I was just, I was really like disillusioned um, with, with my career at that point. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave. And it was just, it was that, that simple. It was like, I'm going to leave. I'd been talking about it for a while. I'd had some trepidation about re-signing in 2018. And it was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave. And the conversation, you know, we were in, we were on our way to Glacier National Park from there. So we had like, you know, many days in the car from Glacier down to Java, <laughs> Missouri. And, and just, you know, kind of started having that conversation of what, what would that look like for me? What would I do? Um, because I, I don't have an agent. So I didn't have someone who was going to go pitch me to ESPN and NFL Network and The Athletic and, and all these wonderful outlets. It was just, okay, well, I'll, fi- I'll, I'll figure that out. You know, I kind of trust my instincts. It's gotten me this far. So I decided in July that I was going to leave. Uh, but wanted to give Bleacher Report the opportunity to convince me to stay, basically. Um, I, I think some things lined up at that time that that made that hard to happen. You know, there's a lot of turnover at Bleacher Report over the summer. You know, with the, the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of conversations had to happen with a lot of different organizations about leadership. You know, during that time, Bleacher Report a CEO um, stepped down. The, uh, the person that I worked with most closely, uh, I believe she was the VP of Studios, um, she left the company. And so I was left in this spot where Turner kind of was taking more of a day-to-day role in, in running Bleacher Report. And being a remote employee, I didn't know any of those Turner people. And so the people who I had worked with closely were now gone. And I was just kind of dropped into this void. And I, I know this has been reported. I don't think I've ever spoke on it, but it, this somehow got leaked that they, like, they even came to me and they're like, would you be interested in covering additional sports? because Turner doesn't have football rights. And I was just like, no, you know, like I'm not at Royals baseball scout, right? Like people follow me for a reason and they follow me because of the NFL draft. And so, you know, it was just, that was just another thing. It was like, okay, it's time for me to do something differently. So I, I put in my notice that got leaked to awful announcing, which was a terrible situation because it didn't really like, I didn't get to go out of my own terms uh, to some degree because once news gets out that you're leaving somewhere, like you don't have a whole, like, there's really no point in being there after that. If it's like, Hey, I, I don't, it was like September and it came out that I was leaving when my contract ended in February. So it's like, well, what, what's the point of the next five months? Like uh, it's hard to build anything. You know, I had a podcast there with two co-hosts, you know, Mello and Connor Rogers. It was called stick to football. It was incredibly successful. We were doing three episodes a week and it, it was so much fun. Like I look forward to doing it every day. And once that news got leaked, it was like, well, what's the point of doing this podcast anymore? And that was, I mean, it was, it was my belief. It was the belief of the executives. Uh, the analogy I used was like, when you, when you like decide to get divorced, like why still live together? You know, like if you're going to do it, let's just do it. And so things got ended a little bit early at Bleacher Report. Um, and then uh, I had a, I had a clause in my contract where I couldn't speak to other outlets until a certain date. When that date hit, I, reached out to uh, someone at ESPN and just said, Hey, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. I'm launching my own sub stack. I don't need 
full-time job. I'm not trying to replace Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay, but I would love an opportunity to prove myself. They're like, yeah, let's see what you can do. So, uh, so here I am. Your Substack really did take off. Uh, I mean, I see it in like the yeah. leaderboards on, on their site. What was the kind of reaction to fans and to, I guess, subscribers? And yeah. what do you think of the platform? I love the platform. Um, it's great for me because it allows me to just be a writer. I don't have to worry about being a programmer. I don't have to worry about handling credit card processing. And this is not an ad for them, but that was their pitch to me was they actually saw me tweet that I was leaving Bleacher Report. And one of their, one of their guys emailed me, just cold called me and was like, Hey, saw you're leaving Bleacher Report. What do you think of this? Because at that time, my plan was to build my own website. I'd hired a uh, web designer. I was trying to figure that out and, and two or three conversations with Substack. And I was like, this is everything I need. Basically you guys do it all. And so I'm very grateful to that, to that platform. Like you said, it, it took off. I think some of it was the timing, you know, being able to announce in January, Hey, I'm leaving bleach report. I'm starting the Substack. Well, that's like right when people are getting interested in the NFL draft. So I think that that helped. Like if I had, if my contract had expired in June, I was like, hey, I'm going to launch this website. People were like, cool, see you in December. But I, I think the timing helped. And and also, like, I mean, I, I don't know, like, you know, I don't even know how many Twitter followers I have. It's still a small percent. You know, if you look and say, okay, you have 100,000 Twitter followers, you're not getting 100,000 people to pay you seven bucks a month to read your work. I'll tell you that. And the, the reception has been positive, but there are all those people who are like, hey, I'd rather watch an ad or can't you get a sponsor? Like, yeah, I could probably do those things, but I don't want to, you know, I... I don't want to have to go sell myself to advertisers. And, you know, I remember when Peter King launched the Monday morning quarterback side thing. And he told me that how much of a grind it was trying to sell to Microsoft and sell to these people. Like, I don't want to do that. If I want to spend my time creating content. So I, I view it that way of, you know, yeah, seven bucks a month. I know that's, that's tough for some people. I've tried to run like specials and discounts and I do giveaways almost every day because like, I get it. But at the same time, like you're, that allows me to not have to put ads on there or commercials or, or like go sell myself once a year to, to advertisers. And then you guys get watered down content. So, um, you know, and that, it's like everything, not everyone's going to love what you're doing, but I've tried to also add in elements that are interactive. You know, like right now we're actually doing a member controlled mock draft where there are 96 of my subscribers who are general managers right now of their favorite team. So two of you could have been the Titans general managers and you would be making all their picks. It's a full seven round member controlled mock draft. So, um, so try to do, I'm trying to do things like that over the summer. I'll have more freedom to do things like happy hours with NFL players. Once we're safely past COVID, we'll be doing live events again, tailgate tour, you know, interactive things like where, you know, we go up to Boulevard in Kansas city and Hey, it's an open bar for two hours. Let's talk about the chiefs or talk about college football. So I'll be able to get back out and do some of those things that, that I was doing a bleacher report soon, hopefully. All right. Enough about your career. Let's get into the juice. Let's get yeah. into the juice here. Uh, how, what should, what should people, what should people believe right now? <laughs> like what, what is, what is real? Yeah, nothing really. You should believe nothing. And I say that as someone who has like been straight up lied to by front office people before, like they've looked me in the face and lied to me, but like, you should also see that. Like, do you remember a couple of years ago when the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals team account was tweeting out Josh Rosen's our guy. They were doing that stuff in April, knowing they were going to take Kyler Murray. I reported they were going to take Kyler Murray on January 7th. And all through that, the draft process, they're tweeting, Josh is our guy. And I got Cardinals fans coming at me for months. Like, we're not taking Kyler. Like, you are taking him. I guarantee you, you're taking Kyler Murray. So you can't believe anything. You know, two weeks ago, the Niners said Jimmy Garoppolo was their guy. Hey, what does that mean? Like, as like in this second that the breath is coming out of my mouth, he's your guy. Like what? So you, you can't believe anything that these teams say. I, I live just a little south of Kansas City. And Brett Beach said that Mitchell Schwartz, he's like, that's our guy. And Eric Fisher will be back for training camp. They cut their asses two days later. So you can't believe anything these teams say because they are they will just lie to you. And it's it's kind of amazing that like in sports and politics, you can just lie. And like, there's no, 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 like consequence to that. So I wouldn't believe anything this time of year as we get closer to the draft. I mean, you guys might remember as Titans fans, I've actually nailed the Titans pick the last two years in my final mock draft. So you can buy April 29th, get that type of information, but anything you hear in a press conference right now, don't believe it because it's just, it's probably not true. 
And teams go out of their way to confuse people. And they love the, they think they're spies or something for the next month. And, and they love that. So I wouldn't believe a whole lot. I don't believe a whole lot this time of year, especially if it comes from a general manager. Uh, this right now, it's actually better to get your intel from people lower down the ladder because they're not like, like they don't care. Right. Like an area scout, I can text them and be like, Hey, what, what character stuff should I know about Isaiah Wilson? I mean, he doesn't care. He'll tell me like, that doesn't matter. It's not going to affect if Isaiah Wilson's on the board. It's like, that's the stuff that you can get this time of year. Unfortunately, no one, no one had that stuff last year. Right. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, who are the Niners going to draft at three? We're all just connecting dots at this point. I'm, I'm sure John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan know, but I, they're not telling me. That's for sure. They might be telling other people. Adam Schefter probably knows, but but that's it. So fill in the blank here. As a fan, if I get great NFL draft coverage, it's because that coverage did blank. On TV, I think it's that they they entertained you because the draft is a long process. Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday. So you were entertained and you were informed. You know, because I think the important thing to remember with the draft is there are guys like myself who like, this is all we talk about. We live it. We breathe it. We die it. Then there might be guys like you who are like, you know, like January one, I'm a big college football fan. Let me like kind of pay attention to the draft. Then there are people that are going to tune in for three days in April who probably know who the top names are, but that's it. Like they probably don't know who the guys around two are. So the thing with the draft is our audience is so broad that you can't just speak one way. And really what you have to do is speak to your least educated audience. So sometimes things might seem like dumbed down, like, okay, we know this about this player, but you're speaking to such a broad audience. So I think good draft coverage and something, you know, I've been on the desk at, at Bleacher Report. I was eight years doing video for them. So I actually haven't watched the NFL draft in a long time. But what I always tried to do with our coverage was, was do that. I wanted to entertain people. Like I wanted to be you know, funny and lighthearted or bring personality and energy but also like you want to educate people like why this pick might be good, why this pick might be bad. How good can this player be? Which is why I do a lot of comparisons of, you know, Hey, this player could be like this guy who you probably have heard of, especially once you get into rounds two and round three, because the average fan, you know, probably doesn't even know who Eric Stokes is, you know, and Eric Stokes is probably gonna be a top 50 pick out of Georgia. Most fans outside of the sec are like, who, like, why, why should I care who Eric Stokes is? It's like, oh, well, he's actually really athletic and he played press coverage and he's, you know, this is who he could be in the NFL. He could start on your team as a rookie or he could start on your team by his second year. So I think that is what good draft coverage is. And unfortunately, you have about six minutes to do that. You got to talk about that pick and then start looking at the next one. Well, let, let's go then behind the scenes on your process and We'll use the Titans at 22, you know, whether it's a defensive line player like Aziz Ojolari or Greg, Greg Rousseau or wide receiver, which I don't want to see them do because <laughs> because I'd rather have Rondell Moore in the second round or cornerback. Uh, you already mentioned a guy just there. You know what you're doing then at that point, because, again, you can't rely on information. You have to trust your own personal scouting report. Right. And then kind of connect yeah. the dots on what a roster looks like. And so. Explain that process today versus that process in 2005. Yeah, I mean, in 2005, I no one knew who I was and I didn't know who anyone was. So I was just watching players and trying to connect dots of, I think this player would fit well with this scheme and with this coach. And this is about where I have him valued. And in 2005, there weren't, you know, there weren't as many outlets covering the draft as there are now. There definitely wasn't, you know, Twitter. So, you know, to your point, Braden, like, by April 29th, again, by the time the first round starts with the Titans, I will probably have it narrowed down to a list of names that I've heard that they like in that spot. It's a little tougher at, at what pick 22 because, you, you know, there's who comes off the board that matters. But, you know, like with Jeffrey Simmons, I had been told a couple of days before the draft, hey, if Simmons is there, he's our guy. Like, OK, so you can trust that type of intel of, hey, if he's there, he's our guy. And then you can look at what you've heard from other teams. You can kind of sketch out a mock draft and say, man, I think he's going to be there. You know, so that could, that could realistically happen. It was the same thing with Isaiah Wilson last year. Losing Jack Conklin, you knew that right tackle was a big need. The run game was so important to that offense. It was like, they're not going to, they're not going to you know, not be able to run the ball with Derrick Henry. And so you could connect those dots of like, logically, they have to get a right tackle. Who's going to be available? Who can actually play that position? And then you can, you're almost playing detective. Then you can reach out to a source and be like, 
hey, I, I really like this player for you guys. What do you think? Or, hey, which of the tackles do you like best? And you can you can kind of piece together information that way instead of just, you can't call, you know, John Robinson and be like, hey, who are you drafting at 22? <laughs> He's not going to tell you. But you might be able to take things that you've learned from other places and then take things you've learned from him and put it together. Ha, not him have, directly, but. Have you know. ever had a conversation where you changed someone's mind or they changed your mind about a report on a player? Like, Hey, you guys are looking yeah. at this, but you guys are looking at edge rusher and you're looking at these two guys. And I kind of already know that, but you, this other dude is a guy you really need to be looking at too, or vice versa. Have you ever changed anybody's mind? Uh, I, I don't know if I changed their mind. I hope that I've influenced their thoughts because like when you talk to scouts, it's so much about like, to be a scout, you have to have like convictions. You have to see something and believe it. And like, this is, this is what the truth is about this player. And so that's probably why we all come off as like cocky assholes is because it's like your whole life is watching something and having a concrete belief of like, no, this is how this player is. You know, this, these are the things about this guy. So, I mean, yeah, I've had people talk to me because sometimes you're like, Hey, I like this player. And they're like, Oh, he has a degenerative knee. It's going to fall off in three years. And you're like, Never mind, you know, okay, or hey, I like this player. And they're like, oh, like, well, in high school, he beat up his girlfriend. And then you're like, well, never mind. He's completely off my board. You know, so like you do have things like that, you know, where you like a player and then you find out something. It's usually, you know, I, I loved Michael Thomas coming out of Ohio State and in what was that, 2017? And like any team I talked to, I was like, hey, like, I really like this guy. Why don't you? And they'd be like, well, he's not fast. I'm like, yeah, but he separates. They're like, yeah, but it's all like slant routes. It's like, yeah, but like he's really good at those and he doesn't drop the ball. <laughs> it's like that year I was trying to like convince everybody like, hey, like why am I so high on this guy and you're so low on them? So it's more a conversation like that. And then you just get into the like, oh, well, you know, it's because of this. And you're like, yeah, but I see it like this. So it's not so much of like, let me convince you that Michael Thomas is the best receiver in this class because we also all have biases. We all like different things from players. So that, that seeps into it as well. Who are, who are those guys this year for the Titans at 22? Uh, guys that I like? Yeah, that know that you're like, why don't people like this guy more? Uh, it was Jalen Phillips. I feel like that's changed a little bit, that people have come around on that. Now, the concussions are a thing. You have four at UCLA. He actually took a year off of football. That's that's a big part of it is if, if he checks out medically, I think he'd be a great fit there because you already have a smaller rusher in Harold Landry, so you need that, that power. And I, I talked to Mike Vrabel at the combine last year, and, and I can't remember if it made the recording or not, but we were just talking about edge rushers. And I was like, what do you think about this guy? And he's like, it's too small for us. Like, we, we have to get someone big opposite Harold. And we saw him try that, right? With They tried it with Clowney, and it just didn't work. And I know Vic Beasley kind of runs counterintuitive to that, but neither of those guys work. So I would think they would go back to a, a quitty pay, Jalen Phillips, kind of a bigger pass rusher. Um, I know you mentioned no wide receiver. I'm with you on that. I, I think it would take someone like Kadarius Tony falling to 22 to be like, okay, this value is is so good. We have to do it. Otherwise, wide receiver so deep this year that in, in round two, you could get, I know you mentioned Rondell Moore. That's a little rich for me for Rondell Moore, but in round two, like you could be looking at Rashad Bateman or I don't think Elijah Moore lasts that far, but there's, there's a lot of wide receivers that you could grab in round two. And then round three, whether it's Rondell Moore or Tutu Atwell, you can, you can fill in that position pretty well. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers. It's a sports bar, but not really because it's evolved. It's the next evolution of the sports bar. Many people are saying. All the kids are saying it's the next evolution. Unparalleled parking. They're side by side. So it's unparalleled. <laughs> the menu is exceptional. At some point, that joke is going to get old, but not yet. You keep telling people to smash the subscribe button. As long as you keep <laughs> telling people to smash the subscribe button, I will keep telling people that the parking lot at Jasper's is unparalleled. Okay? Okay. All right? The menu, unparalleled. So, so, so why should we be going to Jasper's, Braden? Because the food is fantastic. There's plenty of space to socially distance, although we don't have to do that a whole lot longer, just a little bit longer. Second shot, baby. You're there? You're I'm there. Through the second shot, my, mine. If you're listening to this on Friday, which is the only day you could possibly be listening to this early, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then I have had my second shot as well at that time. So, uh, can't wait, can't wait. Um, great sight lines and great happy hour, uh, four to six p.m. Monday through Friday. You can get really good uh, food and drinks for pretty cheap from four to six, but also during Preds games 
and the Preds are literally worth watching now. In fact, every game is must must see television for the Preds. Enjoy perhaps a a gold standard cocktail. What's in the gold standard cocktail, Braden? Uh, Greenbrier whiskey. It's a whiskey drink, not a cider drink. Not a cider drink. <laughs> so it's got Greenbrier whiskey, limoncello, unsweet tea, uh, some some orange, and some lemon. It's very refreshing. It's very light. It's it's a very versatile drink. If Matt Miller were analyzing the gold standard cocktail, he would talk about its its versatility, ranginess, its ability to play in space and and play in multiple formations, front multiplicity for the gold standard. It can be, uh, you know, you could walk around downtown with it as like a like in a styrofoam cup, or you could have it at, at a nice dinner meal. It's it's very. I saw, I saw somebody on Twitter coming after you for promotion of the of the gold standard and its unsweet tea, really, as opposed as opposed to as opposed to sweet tea. You think unsweet is the way to go on this? Uh, in a cocktail with alcohol, yes. If I am drinking it, I think unsweet tea should be banished to North Korea. But I I want sugar in my tea, but preferably le- lemonade in my sweet tea. <laughs> this is what I want. I want. There you go. I want half sweet tea, half lemonade. Uh, however, the gold standard is named after the gold standard podcast, and Adam Vingan despises sweet tea of the athletic. So tweet him for his sweet tea takes, not me. Yeah, that's me a bad that, that, that's a bad take by Adam. That's I, a terrible take. I am an innocent bystander in this sweet tea takeoff. It's not, Adam, it's not you're me. wrong. Wrong. I, now I would I don't mind half and half because I could cut it. Generally, it's pretty it's too sweet. But if I want my boo- I want my booze to taste like booze, Steve. You want it to taste like Greenbrier whiskey. Damn right. I, I want whiskey to taste like whiskey. I don't want it to have a bunch of cranberry in it. Okay. Not, Fair that, enough. I, not that anyone would ever do that with whiskey, but whatever. <laughs> go, to, go to Jasper's where they don't mix cranberry with whiskey. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Menu's great. Parking's great. Space is great. Happy hour is great. All that good stuff is great. The cocktails are great. So just go where it's great. Jasper's, where it's great. Christ's sakes, people. Just go. As a draft geek, the the first round gets all of the gets all of the press. But what is your favorite round in the draft? Yeah, mine has always been round seven, and we haven't I haven't covered it. Excuse me, in a few years because like strategies changed. And but I love round seven because if you are like a, a draft geek, and I I definitely am, those are the players that you kind of like fall in love with as your guys. You're like, oh, like no one talks about this guy and I can't really tweet about him because no one gives a shit about, you know, a player from central Arkansas, but like this dude can play. Like I've watched him. I actually scouted him. This dude can play. I remember a bleacher report one year. I actually loved a long snapper and from Navy. And I was like, <laughs> man, like this long, like I know that's that a deep stupid, cut, but right. But it was like this dude and the Patriots drafted him. His name is Joe Cardona. And I was like, I have like five minutes of notes on this player. We're doing a video about him. And Adam Lefko was like, Matt, we're not doing a video about a long snapper. And I was like, yes, we are. We have to do it. And like, I was so amped up about it that everybody was like, yeah, I think we have to do it. And so like, that's the fun part, especially like round six and seven, because you're getting those guys drafted that, you know, again, the common fan has not heard of, and you get to, you get to have that passion to be like, okay, yeah, you've probably never heard of this guy and you might not even know where his school is, but let me tell you why he might be a player for your team. You know, not saying he's going to be Tom Brady, but he might be a player for your team. You know, he might be someone who can contribute or become a starter. You know, the term sleeper gets thrown out a lot. He might be a player like that. So that's what I love about day three is you are you're finding those gems that nobody's talking about. What's your role going to be with the with the draft coverage with ESPN this year? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I hope I'm allowed to talk about this. So my role right now is is obviously is the the new guy, uh, the bottom rung on the chain. I'll be doing a lot of support stuff. So I'll be doing, you know, a get up with with Mike, probably not Mike Greenberg that week. He's a little busy. I'll be doing get up in the morning, sports center, NFL live. Basically my job is to try to take a lot of the the work off of Mel and Todd so that they can go focus on doing the the actual draft. And, and as someone who's done that again for, for eight years, it's tough. It's a grind. You know, you don't, you don't sleep because you're so excited and you're, you're trying to like cram all these notes in your mind. You're making calls, trying to connect dots and, and that runs all the way up to the draft. And then there's this adrenaline that hits you when that camera comes on and it doesn't leave you like after pick 32, the Buccaneers make their pick. It's not like, you're just like, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. Last year after round three, I went to, I went to Mello's house. He was, he was writing a bleach for bleach report at the time. So I went like, I was going to like, Hey, let me just like help you write you know, just finish up what you're doing. 
going to eat some food. And it was like midnight when I got there because, you know, Friday night is a late night. And I didn't, I slept two hours before I had to get up and be on set Saturday morning to do day three of the draft because you're just so juiced up about what's happening. And you've like probably drank like six cups of coffee and, and you're just full of like energy. And it's like, I can't shut down right now. And so it's just, <laughs> you know, so I, I know what that grind is like. And, and I'm like truly happy to be able to help in a small way and, and hopefully continue to build on some of the things I've been able to do there in the last you know, five or six weeks and, and carve out a bigger role for next year. When scouts talk about the SEC, I, I know the old adage is if you're good enough, the NFL will find you no matter where you are, no matter where you're from. And that is true. But but do scouts talk about the SEC differently yes. than they do the other leagues? Explain yes. that that dynamic. So when scouting, what you want is the best players versus the best players makes our job the easiest. So LSU versus Alabama 2019, I'm still watching that game because there were so many prospects in it. Or, you know, uh, Ohio State, Alabama this year. You want that. You want the, the best versus the best, right? So that you can evaluate. Like, let me see Jamar Chase against Patrick Sertan. Let me see Jamar Chase against, you know, it, the practice tape at LSU would be amazing with Chase against Stingley. But let's see Devontae Smith against, you know, against a Derek Stingley. Let's see him against a Kelvin Joseph. So that's what makes it the SEC fun. We did a wide receiver show the other day on ESPN and my top six receivers were from the SEC. And it was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, but that's just how it is. There's so much talent there right now. You know, Nick Saban's running a program that I don't think we'll ever see topped what he's been able to do there. But then you have, you know, an LSU will come along every year or every couple of years and be great. You know, Auburn has had some years. Florida has had some years and they're, they're only getting better down there under Dan Mullen. So Georgia has had a hell of a run. So that's what makes the SEC fun is, you know, Vanderbilt can play Missouri and there's going to be six draft prospects out there. So like, that's the other thing about the SEC is like, no matter what team you're watching, there are draft prospects. You know, I live in big 12 country. There are days where it's like Baylor, Texas tech. And you're like, Nope, get them that one, <laughs> you know, or like Kansas, Texas, you know, and I'm a Texas fan. And it's like, phew. <laughs> I, there is this is going to be tough to watch right and so i think that's the other fun thing about the sec is like you know every this job is like ultimately it is watching football but there are times where you know you have to watch a game that's not going to be the most exciting thing in the world that doesn't happen with the sec because there's just way too much talent on the field which coaches and in, in, in we can keep to the sec or you can go nationally do, do you think not get enough credit for developing talent Oh, Brian Kelly's the first one that comes to mind for me at Notre Dame. I don't understand why Coach Kelly does not get talked about as a top four or five coach in college football. I mean, he's been there, what, 11 years? I don't know. He's been there a long time. And they've been good, like, almost every year. And that's such a hard school to win at Notre Dame. Is. So I think he's a big one that doesn't get enough credit for just how consistently they churn out first-round prospects. They'll have a couple more this year. They'll have a couple more next year. And it's like there's this perception almost that if you're not Alabama, you're not good. And we know that's not true, right? Like Clemson's pretty good. Ohio State's pretty good. Notre Dame's pretty good. Georgia's pretty good. But I think Nick Saban has just set the bar so high. It's almost like, you know, with the Patriots. It's like the Patriots set this bar so high in the NFL that a team like the Chiefs won a Super Bowl and they've been to you know, two of the last three. They've been in three straight AFC Championship games. People are like, yeah, well, you're not the Patriots. It's like, yeah, I know. Like that's No one is. And I think Alabama's the same way. It's like, you know, LSU can win a title. And then they go five and five the next year because they lost everyone, coaches included. And people are like, oh, you're fake. See, you're not Alabama. It's like, we're not, we're not trying to be Alabama, you know? And, and Florida had a really good year until, you know, things kind of fell apart at the end. Georgia has had a really nice run, but I think Nick has just set the bar so high that he is the elite, you know, of that table. I think, I think Brian Kelly's definitely up there. Uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa state is a really good developer. Um, Coach Shaw at Stanford, a really, really good developer of talent. So those are the ones where you just know people coming out of those programs are pretty good. I think Kirby Smart has the potential to get into that conversation. I think Dan Mullen, from an offensive perspective, has a chance to get into that conversation. So those from the SEC, those would be the two guys that are probably probably the closest. You know, you got the guys in Mississippi uh, with Lane and, and Coach Leach that um, they they both have their strengths at developing and they both also have their weaknesses at developing guys. So like, you know, you know, with quarterbacks, Lane's going to get the most out of them. With wide receivers, Leach is going to get the most out of them. So, uh, the, this again, it's just it, they make it easy in the SEC to find these players. The pandemic has been uh, really interesting for a, a lot of remote uh, broadcasting. Are you conscious of 
your background and the room that you're in when, when you're appearing on. I, I know some people go to great lengths in order to kind of set up uh, set up everything. They'll do some virtue signaling and uh, maybe a few yeah. books they put up there or records or whatever else. So I have I'm I'm sitting in my upstairs guest bedroom today because I be honest, I didn't feel like going into the office. It's been a long week. I got a lot of stuff to do. So today I'm just sitting in the guest bedroom. So I don't have the elaborate background, but I do have an office that has a full studio in it. And it has like the brick paneling and the bookshelves, you know, the, the, your standard ESPN setup. And when I, uh, when I found out I was going to be hired by ESPN, I thought I was actually going to have a couple weeks to like get my setup ready. And we were going to like test things. But then I had a story come out that NFL teams had Zach Wilson as the top quarterback. There's a couple teams that had Zach as QB1. And I actually got a call and they were like, well, good thing you signed your contract because we need you on in the morning. You ready? I was like, <laughs> my setup's not ready. Like, I'm ready, but my setup is not. So, yeah, I have a couple different places that I'll, I'll hang out at. Like, my dining room is sound quality is not bad in there. So sometimes I'll chill in there. Most of the time I'm at my office where I, I do have your standard backdrop, but but yeah, you're very aware of it because it's like, you know, in American Psycho, how they compare business cards. Like we're all looking at each other's backgrounds. <laughs> to be like, Damn. Like any Easter eggs it. that you try to like get into the uh, get onto the set. Is there like one I little thing some, in there that like f my five best friends are going to know what this is? I have some Stephen King books in the shot. I think they might have got moved. But like that was the thing, you know, like I have a full like forearm sleeve of Stephen King stuff. So try to get that in. I need to throw all my Jason Isbell records are at home. I need to get one in the backdrop. Uh, that would be, that'd be cool. Um, and then I, I was going to try to get like some, I'm a big Boulevard Brewing guy. I was going to try to get some Boulevard stuff in the background. And I was like, I don't know if nice. ESPN would allow that or not. <laughs> so we'll see. No, no, we'll see. no freebies. Um, right. Exactly. Uh, and uh, I have uh, two two Jason Isbells in the background. I'm proud to say, Matt, come on, dude, step yeah. up the game, buddy. It real quickly, the 2020 class. You already mentioned Isaiah Wilson being a massive whiff uh, for the Tennessee Titans. Is it? Be, are we going to look back ten years from now at the 2020 class because of the pandemic and how it all was disrupted, and we're going to see just like a totally misevaluated class, or or is that? Can you project something like that? Yeah, so I do think so. And I think, I mean, I was even saying this last year before the draft, and I think this year will be similar that we'll see more teams miss on on people than they will on players. Because like we're, teams are drafting based on film, which is really good. We're not getting caught up in the pro days and the combines and things like that. But the problem is you didn't get to spend as much time with the person. So that's why I say like teams are going to miss on the, the person and hit on the player. So I think that's what we'll see more of from 2020 and 2021 is situations like Isaiah Wilson, you know, where it's like, oops, we, and that's, it's no fault of J Rob and, and Rabel and, and all the, the people in Tennessee. It's more of just, you didn't get spent enough time with this player and they were probably able to be coached on what to say to you and how to answer questions. And you maybe weren't even interviewing a person. So you didn't get to pick up on body language cues and things like that. So I, I do think that that's a great point that we'll probably look at these two years and be like, what the hell happened? Like, oh yeah, there was a there was a pandemic. Along somebody like like Isaiah Wilson, and you talk about being coached. Is that on the? Are we going to look back and say, well, the agents had the agents got X number of players over, or they got somebody over the line that 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 maybe they wouldn't have, or who, who's who's sort of the who's sort of the responsible party here? I mean, obviously the teams yeah. are for missing, but but on well, the other I, yeah, side. It's the agent's job. Like I give them credit. That is their job, right? Their job is to get their player drafted as high as possible. So like that, and also like, I think we give them too much credit. You know, agents can't know everything that's going on with each of their players, right? And with, with Isaiah Wilson, such a unique situation because none of this stuff came up in his, in every, anyone I talked to about him before the draft, none of this stuff came up. And it's like the minute he got drafted, he just didn't care anymore. And so you, I don't know that you can predict that. So Maybe he was, you know, coached right to say the right things, but I don't know that as an agent that you're able to say like, so if you say, okay, I say, you're going to ask about these things by the Titans, like let's practice some answers. And he does well on that. You might not know that it's not real. You know, you're just like, oh man, like that went really well. Okay. We got it. He's going to ace these interviews. So I don't think you always know of like, oh man, this, this player we signed, this could be a problem because you don't, you don't want that. I don't know who his agent is off the top of my head or what agency they're with, but they don't, they don't want that, you know, on their record right now, you know, just like with the Dwayne Haskins stuff, his agent had to fire him 
you don't want that. Like your goal is ultimately to get your player to a second, third contract. That's actually where you make your money anyway, as an agent. So I think, you know, to say like, ah, how many players did agents get over? Yeah. Like probably a couple, but you're also hoping that you can just help them mature. And that like, once they get drafted, like, Oh, they'll, they'll straighten up. Like when they're, when they see how important this is or as they grow up, probably. Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. So I'm not going to get crazy and say John Elway or Peyton Manning or anything like that. So it's, it's amazing. In in nine years, we forgot how great Andrew Luck was. I think they're very comparable. You know, they're both guys who we knew since high school, were going to be the first overall pick at some point. So I think it's just, it says a lot that, that they sustained it because, you know, Josh Rosen was supposed to be that guy. Christian Hackenberg was supposed to be that guy and neither was. And so I think for Trevor to sustain that from 15 or 16 years old to this point, it really says a lot about the person says a lot about the player too. I got started in Zach Wilson. I I, I got started in recruiting about Oh five. The two best players I've ever covered as, as recruits were Adrian Peterson and Andrew Luck. Those are the best two. Yeah. I would say, yeah. I remember Adrian Peterson as a freshman running for like 200 yards against Texas. So yeah, I, yep. yep. I would say he was up there. Congratulations on the new gig with ESPN. We will all be watching all week long, all month long. We'll be reading the sub stack. Go subscribe. It's totally worth it. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for giving us so much of your time during this really busy season. We do appreciate it. And I hope everybody enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun for us, Matt. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. Have a good one. You know, Steve, special thanks to Matt Miller, NFL Draft Scout, one of a kind in this world. And in our in our world, in this media show that we want to kind of focus on here, I am fascinated by the individual who can go off on his own and fall, fall into a niche like he did and then have such a, a, a passionate following that he can kind of just go off on his own and, and create you know, something pretty successful and very high quality and very much in what he loves. It's just I, I, I admire the guy. I'm I'm. I'm uh, proud to call him a friend and, and glad that you guys got to hear him talk about the draft at this time of year. The guys like Matt, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I would love to like cut open their brain and see how it works because people who walk around with that amount of information about, you know, several hundred individuals at a time and who are processing games and, and process, you know, who are going back and watching film here now in January, February, March, April off of, uh, you know, for guys that are going to be in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, uh, like he was talking about. I'm amazed that people can keep all of that. And in his case, you know, we were talking here before before we started recording, and he's just like, hey, I assume you guys want to talk Titans. You want to talk SEC? He's like, he's like, we can talk about these guys. And he sort of starts spitting stuff out. And, he, and we were like, great, you know, we'll do, we'll do all that. But I'm amazed when guys can do that and at the quality you know at, at the level that that somebody like miller does yeah and and you heard him talk about it where he's at like a pro day and people are like what about next year's draft <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and he's it's not so it's not even just a couple hundred guys in 2021 it's a couple thousand guys over the next three years that he's already tracking it and monitoring and and again i think the the lesson i would take away is is it's not about being a niche because the nfl draft is sort of like the fourth biggest sport in america right now it's not really like a niche anymore but it's about finding what you love and going a mile deep in that. I think that's the lesson I take from him and, and to just do it with like unabashed passion, um, you, you know, unparalleled commitment, one might say, to that particular craft. And I think that's the lesson I take from him and, and talking with him is that he found something he loves and he's just busting his ass as hard as he can to give people the best possible content about this one thing. And that, that's the lesson I take from him. If your career path begins as a secondary coach and 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 scout for a semi-pro team in Joplin, Missouri, and if you're sitting there going, you know, I'm going to work with Mel Kuyper and uh, Todd McShay someday. <laughs> right. I mean, right. The, the number of people who can pull that off is now exactly one. A hundred percent. So special thanks to Matt Miller, of course, at NFL Draft Scout. Check out his sub stack as well, which is sort of like a mini recommendation here on the show. Check out the Substack at NFL Draft Scout, uh, as well as all over ESPN television now. So great to have him, and we appreciate his time during this very busy time of the year for him. All right, ratings before we get to recommendations, Steve. Ratings, number one, big shocker here. Gonzaga-UCLA, one of the greatest basketball games I've ever seen. 
That, of course, on Saturday evening on CBS, 11.4. The other Final Four game that was on the afternoon, Baylor and Houston, an 8.6. And then you had um, the three games from the prior weekend. So Arkansas-Baylor, which was the Elite Eight matchup, 7.0 there. Oregon State and Houston, uh, 6.2. UCLA-Michigan, 4.5. So Gonzaga did not register as part of the, 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 the team that was left, the Elite Eight game that was left out was Gonzaga and and uh, USC. So I don't know. Well, and that was a, that. and it was a blowout. I mean, so a, a lot of these games are blowouts. <laughs> so so those, it's interesting that those those elite eight games were held on a Monday, Tuesday for the first time. So that's why they're in this ratings book. Man, that that Gonzaga UCLA game was fantastic. I mean, it's it's everything you would ever want. And 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 oh, by the way, it had a, you know, memorable buzzer beater that's going to be in every highlight package for the next 10 years. Yeah, to, 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 top, to top it off. It was it was fantastic. 120,000 television homes in Nashville. Each rating point represents about 11,000 homes in Nashville. All these numbers, of course, courtesy Mark Binda of News Channel 5. So an 11.4 for UCLA and Gonzaga, which I do find it like if, if Tennessee is in that game, I'm just hypothetically throwing something out here. If Kentucky or Tennessee is in that game, how big do you think that number gets if it ends like that? Like, like if it's because this is UCLA Gonzaga, two two teams that could not be further away <laughs> from Nashville, Tennessee. And that's almost you know, 120, 130,000 TV homes watching that game on set late on Saturday night. Yeah, you could double that if if you if if there was somebody there who this area cared about. And <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how many Zags uh, alum are in the area. I don't know any UCLA alums here in town. If uh, no. if you're out there, you know, hey, you know, wave to us, but no. Right. The interesting thing for me is going to be next week you had politely a marginal championship game with Baylor winning the national championship. Yeah, it was boring. Uh, but we got the Masters coming up in this next ratings round and I bet you I bet you the final round of the Masters if it's close beats beats the championship game. Oh, I I I think there, I think Saturday will beat the championship game. I think two days of them. How about this? Friendly wager one one beer that two rounds of the Masters beat the NCAA championship game. I think it'll just be one, but maybe maybe it's two. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm going to be watching a lot of Masters this weekend. I, I will as well. All right, so recommendations on the show. Again, all those ratings courtesy of Mark Benda, News Channel 5. Recommendations, Steve. You go ahead, buddy. So uh, if you've been paying attention, Nate Rao broke a pretty good story here about the the fight over the exit in. The, the short version of it is... Uh, Chris Cobb uh, and Chris and Talisha Cobb, who own the Exit Inn, have been trying, have been in a fight over the the building and would it be zoned for a hotel? And this there's this whole Save the Rock Block campaign here for the last couple of years. They put together uh, some partners to buy the building. As Nate reported, it was they met the asking price, and the owners still sold to someone else because they were so they were still pissed off that Cobb had led this PR campaign against their efforts to put a hotel down on Elliston Place. It's all just a complete mess. So there's now a GoFundMe out there where they're trying to raise even more money to try to buy it from AJ Capital Partners, which is the Chicago-based firm. I think they were actually moving an office to Nashville that are going to develop a hotel and other stuff down there. If you care about Nashville music. You should care about the exit in. I can't list all the acts that have played there, but I mean, it's impossible. Know, <laughs> I mean, the everybody from the Talking Heads on their first American tour, the Police on their first American tour, and they name any act, big act from the from the eighties or nineties. And as they were coming up, you know, the Chili Peppers before they played this infamous uh, Rights of Spring show at Vanderbilt, played the exit in. Uh, in that kind of in their in their heyday, uh, right right before they broke big with Mother's Milk. I mean, there, there's ten thousand more stories like that. Yeah. A place people. If we lose the exit in, we lose a small piece of of what makes Nashville Nashville. Uh, and everybody wants to talk about you know country music and 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 the country institutions that are here, but the indie rock and other institutions like the Station Inn, who alert their owner just died. And who knows what's going to happen to the station in down in the Gulch that has now high rise hotels all around it. Yeah. These are the kinds of things that need to be saved. So th there's a story that's up on 
the Nashville scene site. It, um, you should go read Goose uh, Tragesser, the um, music editor of, of the scene, has a Q&A with uh, Chris Cobb to talk about the push to save it. There's a GoFundMe link in there. They've already raised, I think, $50,000. If they don't hit the, the total or if their offer is not accepted, then all of that money is going to go into is going to go into efforts to help uh, struggling musicians. So you know the right. money is going to go to a good place no matter what. But save the exit in, people. If you care about what makes Nashville Nashville, then you want to care about this. Am I wrong? But didn't Canary Ballroom that three story get sold to somebody recently too? Am I making that up? No, you're not. Uh, it was like it was like a thirty million dollar deal. Um, but they have said the Canary Mercy Lounge. The whole kind of complex that's right there will stay what it is. If you're, and I know you are of, of age to have experienced this, if you've seen a burlesque show at the Rutledge and you know what that sentence just meant, then you want to save exit in, okay? Um, if you've been to a moon taxi show at the end, <laughs> you know, if you know what that means, then you want to save exit in if you, you know, I've taken my grandfather to station in my dad to station in it's it, these are places that have made Nashville, Nashville. And without them, musicians are still coming here, but I don't know where they're going. It's, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know what the implications are like third and Lindsley getting renovated. It, the only reason that one's still around is because it was out at the very end of where there's valuable property. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, that's why the Rutledge is gone. And it became like, Martin's barbecue, which is also a cool restaurant too, by the way. But still, you know, this is this is the problem with with kind of new gleaming Nashville. And we can build these great halls. I mean, and there have been some great facilities that have been built in Nashville in the last 10 years to to see music and to and to see to see live acts. But if we lose these clubs, uh, if we lose the ability for for bands that are coming up to to have, you know, to come in and play packed houses and build followings, then we really, really do have a a major problem. So my recommendation, equally as serious, so heavy wrecks today on the show. Um, My recommendation is Ezra Klein's book, Why We're Polarized. And that sounds like a really heavy title. And it's far more of a a little bit of a history. It's part history lesson about just sort of like American politics and people and belief systems. There's heavy psychological sort of components to all of this as we each of us have 15, 20, 25 identities. Sometimes those identities even conflict with each other. And I, I, I bring this book up because I'm in the middle of it and it ties directly into the Major League Baseball decision to leave and move their all star game out of Atlanta. Because one of the points he makes in the book about the the individual psychology of identity and your political identity to some degree, it's an important sort of dynamic to understand. We as a community, as a country, as a voting populace are 10 years behind the times, right? In general, we skew a little bit more conservative. We're slower to change as a country. We want to sort of feel things out before we just go ahead and legalize a bunch of weed, right? It takes a little bit of time. So the voting population is sort of 10 years behind the, the quote unquote curve. But this ties in with Major League Baseball, Delta, Coca-Cola, all these companies. Corporate America and capitalistic companies are actually 10 years ahead of the curve, right? They want 18 to 24-year-olds. They want future buying power. Advertisers, these big companies, these big retailers, they want to reach younger demographics before they become 25-year-olds. So it's a perfect book to try to understand what's happening in in the state of Georgia, why companies are at odds with the legislator you can obviously go read about the voting rights stuff as well but like from a psychological standpoint it's fascinating to watch companies know that they're targeting that they're already 20 years ahead of the voting population and it's just fascinating to read why we're polarized Ezra Klein check it out it gives you great insight as to why we disagree with so many different things and that we're really not all that different from each other really when you get down to it so um it's a fascinating read and i you know if you like human psychology american history with a little bit of politics mixed in, it'll help you understand why corporations are deciding the things they're deciding as it pertains to the voting rights stuff. So check it out, Ezra Klein. Klein's a really smart guy. Uh, he got his he got to start one of his starts at the at the he built the site at the mini site at the Washington Post, which then he took and and took a bunch of those people and became what is now Vox.com. Then he just left recently. He's now uh, he's now a columnist for the for the New York Times. He has a podcast which is which is really excellent uh, that kind of deals with these sorts of issues in a really smart way. And he's you know he's more likely to he's more likely to find a deeply analytical 
answer for kind of the, some of the questions of our day than than yep. than most. Uh, I I just I just respect the hell out of him, uh, even when I don't when I don't always agree with him. So yeah, I don't agree with everything he writes, but it's a fascinating book. And small mini rec, mini shout out to Nashville Public Libraries being open again because we went and took the girls on Saturday, masks and all, and I checked out Ezra Klein's book. And it forces me to read more. So shout out to the Nashville Public Library, the beautiful one downtown that is now open to the public. All the other branches are in the process of opening. So uh, go to your library, support your library, read more, understand humanity, rate, review, and subscribe. You know, Awesome. And the Nashville Public <laughs> Library, like Jasper's, free parking. For, yes, downtown free parking for an hour and a half. So if you go to the library for five minutes, then you can go to a bar for an hour. <laughs> 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 instead though instead of doing that go to jasper's <laughs> uh special thanks to matt miller for joining us on the show today we do appreciate it at nfl draft scout check out his Substack as well and all over espn steve where can people find you they can find me on twitter at scavendish my name is Braden gall you can follow me at Braden gall go to jasper's free parking great menu great happy hour great place to watch the game just all around greatness across the board much like steve and Matt. So special thanks to everybody for joining us today. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe, share the show. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.